You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Third down inches to go. The Vader, 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front. Star begins to count. Takes the snap. He's got the The passions that people still have for the game. A football star at Green Bay East High School. Curly Lambeau is a name the West High School Wildcats will not soon forget. Started four years, which was unusual. In his senior year, he led East to a 7-6 victory over West before 5,000 people. He scored the only touchdown. East only touchdown and kicked the extra point. And it was hailed as this great high school phenom. To quote the 1916 East High School Annual, Captain Curly Lambeau, his trusty toe and wonderful ground-gaining ability, gave East High the first football victory over crosstown rival West High in eight contests. All right, you're probably wondering, why would you play that clip about, you know, Curly Lambeau's high school days? And uh, and really, the, the reason's real simple. Um, it's obvious that, um, you know, his high school years is what molded him into, you know, having this love for the game of football. And without that, you know, love for the game of football, then uh, we all would, would agree that the Green Bay Packers wouldn't even exist today. I mean, just a love for his town, a love for a love for the game, a love for his teammates, which we all know that first year, uh, first couple years of the Green Bay Packers um, would actually consist of uh, a team basically being filled with his former teammates from high school and how it was just a Sandlot team that emerged as this NFL powerhouse, you know, throughout time. And uh, if you guys haven't caught on, that's going to be our history segment for the uh, for today's episode. And I'm excited and nervous all at the same time because Curly Lambeau is uh, arguably the most important uh, Packer uh, in the history of the Green Bay Packers, um, right next to uh, George Calhoun, which we all know, you know, Curly would probably be uh, a little more important. He's a guy who played – for the team. He's a guy who coached the team. He's a guy who uh, did so much. And like I said, without him and George Calhoun, the Green Bay Packers wouldn't exist. So welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send an email to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. Now, obviously, the history segment today is going to be Curly Lambeau. Um, it's probably going to take up quite a bit of the show, and I'm totally cool with that. We've also got a listener email that we're going to address where he's asking about some of the top college football prospects, and we'll wrap the show up with that with whatever remaining time we've got. Obviously, this is not a college football podcast, but anytime a, a Packers listener asks a question pertaining to uh, you know anything that's, that's you know remotely 
uh, you know, revolving around football, then then I, I want to answer that and do it in a timely manner. And I think it would be cool, um, kind of appropriate as we're stepping into the football season. You know, college football is right around the corner. And how do we tie that in with the Green Bay Packers? Well, why not go ahead and just very, very quickly touch on who are the top prospects coming into this year's draft, you know, from, from a preseason standpoint? I mean, obviously – if you know the name Spencer Rattler, then you understand pretty uh, pretty wholeheartedly that, you know, any any player in college football can sink just as quick as they rise, right? And that's exactly what happened with Spencer Rattler last year. I say that because this time last year, everybody was saying this is probably going to be the top quarterback, maybe the number one pick in the upcoming draft. And it wasn't just a few short weeks into the college football season. Obviously, Spencer Rattler was looking to transfer because he'd lost his job. So you just never know about these things. But I think it would be cool to kind of hit on that. But first things first, let's uh, do a little housekeeping here. You guys know about our giveaway. This promotion is going to get shorter and shorter, guys, because I don't want to bore with bore you with it at the beginning of every show. We're giving away one indoor club seat ticket to the Packers-Rams Monday Night Football matchup on December 19th there at Lambeau Field. All you got to do to enter the contest, go to my Twitter account, at Packers underscore access. There's a pinned tweet at the top of the page. Just make sure you follow the account and retweet that pinned tweet talking about the uh, the giveaway. There's also going to be a $75 um, VIP tailgate pass that gets you to a tailgate party three games or three hours, I should say, before the game starts. Go in all you can eat, all you can drink, all that stuff. The ticket itself is going to be indoor club seats, so you're going to be in inside out of the elements. If you want to be a weirdo and go up to the roof, you got access to that. There's a lot of cool perks to indoor club seat ticket packages. Now, also, if you're looking to do any advertising, make sure you get up with Ryan. He's offering some awesome deals right now um, as far as being a uh, you know a contributor to the uh, podcast. And if you want to get word out, whether it's a small business or a large business, uh, an event you might have coming up or you know just any kind of uh, project you're working on that you, uh, you want to take advantage of the listener's ears, um, he can help you do that and do it uh, at a very affordable price. So um, with all that being said, let's just waste no more time. Let's get right into the history segment of Curly Lambeau. After his senior year, Curley was going to the University of Wisconsin to play football. He showed up, perhaps briefly, never checked out equipment, never practiced, never enrolled at the university and went back home. Why? Don't know. But he had to know before he went there that freshmen were not eligible to play. Giving it another try, Lambeau enrolls at Notre Dame. I thought that was a very cool story there. I, I had no idea that Curley actually uh, enrolled at the University of Wisconsin, which makes a lot of sense, you know, him being in Green Bay there. And we know the ties that the University of Wisconsin has to, uh, you know, football across the state of Wisconsin. And, and um, yeah, and, and the fact that he realized he couldn't play as a freshman, so he then decided to enroll at Notre Dame. As you guys know, he goes to Notre Dame, gets sick, comes home, and uh, you know, just gets a normal nine to five there at the meatpacking company, and lo and behold, starts a Sandlot team, and uh, and everything takes off. But let's do this. Let's start at the beginning. All right. Again, this may be a little bit longer history segment, but uh, I think it's going to be worth it. It's very important to understand our roots as Packer fans. It's very important to understand the people that that come before us. And and you know, it to me, the goal of this history segment, um, week in and week out when we do one, is to make sure that people who have been written out of the history books um, are not forgotten, you know. And uh, it, it's very easy to do in today's society. It's kind of a what have you done for me lately. Everyone seems to, especially in the political realm on both sides, seem to like to just focus on everybody's negatives 
and and not the things that they might have contributed or accomplished uh, to better society and, and our country as a whole. And, and I think that, you know, sometimes football is a microcosm of uh, of everyday life, you know. And that's kind of what's happened here in the past with some of the people that's come through the uh, – the Green Bay Packers organization. Now, Curly, it's it's amazing how, you know, you hear Lambeau Field, uh, you know, week in and week out. It's, you know, I, I don't want to say arguably. I think it's pretty much understood it's the most famous, the most iconic um, venue in all of sports, um, maybe even more so than Yankee Stadium, as we all know. You know, baseball really had a grip on, on America's heart for so long, and you know, I love the saying, you know, yes, uh, baseball was America's pastime, but football is America's passion. And I think that's a very true statement. But it's amazing how you've got this field named after this guy. And many people don't even know anything about him. They don't know, you know, the uh, what he contributed to the game of football. And, and, you know, you hear just, you know, here and there, you people catch little glimpses of of his story, but nothing to the, to the effect that it should be told. But, uh, Let's do it. Let's jump into it. Earl Lewis Curley Lambeau. He was born on April 9, 1898, passed away on June 1, 1965. He was an American professional football player and coach in the National Football League. Lambeau, along with his friend and fellow Green Bay, Wisconsin native George Whitney Calhoun, founded the Green Bay Packers in 1919, serving as team captain in the team's first year before becoming player coach in 1920. As a player, Lambeau lined up as halfback, which in the early years of the NFL was the premier, premier position. He was the team's primary runner and passer, uh, accounting for 35 touchdowns, 8 as a rusher, 3 as a receiver, and 24 as a passer in 77 games. He won his only NFL championship as a player in 1929. So it's important to understand, you know, he's got all these championships, I think six in total, and most of which were, uh, you know, him as a coach. And I think it's important to understand that the very first championship that he won, he was actually a player. Uh, from 1920 to 1949, Lambeau was the head coach and general manager of the Green Bay Packers. With near total control over the team's day-to-day operations, he led his team to over 200 wins and six NFL championships, including three straight from 1929 to 1931. He shares the distinction with rival George Hallis of the Chicago Bears and later Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots of having the most NFL championships by a coach. Uh, Lambeau also coached eight eight players who went to be went on to be elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame with players such as quarterback Arnie Herber and split in Don Hudson. His teams revolutionized the use of the passing game in football. After a falling out with the Packers' board of directors, Lambeau left the Packers to coach the Chicago Cardinals and the Washington Redskins, each for two seasons before retiring in 1953. For his accomplishments, Lambeau has been widely recognized and honored. He was named to the NFL 1920s All-Decade team as one of the top halfbacks in the league's first decade of, of existence. He was an inaugural inductee to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963 and the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame in 1970 in recognition for his role as founder, player, and coach of the Packers. Shortly after his death in 1965, the Packers' home stadium, which is still in use today, was named Lambeau Field in his honor. So let's go to his early life here. Curly Lambeau was born April 9, 1898 in Green Bay, Wisconsin to Marcelin Lambeau and Mary Latour, both of Belgian descent. Lambeau attended 
Green Bay East High School, where he was identified as a standout athlete. He played for the football team all four years of high school and was named captain in 1917 as a senior. The Green Bay Press-Gazette sports writer George Whitney Calhoun noted in September 1917 that Lambeau was trying out for the University of Wisconsin freshman football team as, quote, one of the best gridiron prospects that has ever been turned out of high school, out of a high school. Uh, However, Lambeau never ended up enrolling at Wisconsin. After graduating from high school, he worked for his father in a construction business, participated in several local football teams. In 1918, Lambeau attended the University of Notre Dame and played for legendary college coach Newt Rockney, making the Notre Dame Fighting Irish's team's varsity squad. Guys, that, that is so impressive. Newt Rockney had some of the best college football teams in the history of the game. And the fact that he went in as a freshman, Lambeau did, and made the varsity squads is really, really impressive. However, a severe case of tonsillitis forced him to miss the 1919 spring semester. He never returned to Notre Dame. After a long recovery from tonsillitis, Lambeau went to work at a, as a shipping clerk at the Indian Packing Company for $250 a month. All right, now it says founding the Packers. Lambeau and George Whitney Calhoun founded the Green Bay Packers on August 11th, 1919, after the packing company put up $500 for uniforms. So they're right there alone. I want you to understand, and, and some of you may already know this, and that's great, man. I'm, I'm glad you do, and, and help spread the word, help keep people, you know, educated on this. But most people don't even know why they were called the Packers, you know, um, and that's why right there. Basically, the company that, that Curly Lambeau worked for um, a packing company put up $500 for uniforms, and they said, well, let's just call us the Packers. That fall, the founders secured Willard Big Bill Ryan, <laughs> former coach of the Green Bay West High School, to coach the team. The team's name reportedly the team's name reportedly was offered to Curley by his girlfriend Agnes Alward after a pickup game. Curley had wanted to call the team the Green Bay Indians, to respect Indians pack, Indian Packing's purchase of uniforms for the team. So Agnes simply blurted, quote, Well, for heaven's sake, Curly, why don't you just call them the Green Bay Packers? The team's naming rights were sold to the Acme Packing Company, and the team remained the Packers. The Packers initially played teams from Wisconsin and Michigan's Upper Peninsula. However, the success of the team in 1919 and 1920 quickly led it to led to its joining of the American Professional Football Association, which is now called the National Football League, in 1921. During that season, the team was owned by the Acme Packing Company and John and Emmett Clare of Chicago. All right, so when you go on to his professional career, Lambeau was a player captain at first. He played for the Packers for 10 seasons, including the first eight seasons after the team joined the NFL in 1921, playing halfback in the then-popular single-wing offensive formation. He was both primary runner and passer. Lambeau threw 24 touchdown passes, rushing for eight touchdowns, and caught three touchdowns in 77 games. Lambeau was the first Packer to throw a pass, throw a touchdown pass, and make a field goal in Green Bay Packer franchise history. I mean, that's so fitting right there. He was also occasionally the team's kicker, kicking six field goals and 20 extra points. He won his only NFL championship as a player coach in 1929, retiring as a player after the season, after uh, after that season. All right, Lambeau coached three NFL teams over his 33-year career, the Green Bay Packers, the Chicago Cardinals, and the Washington Redskins. 
He uh, completed his coaching career with an official overall record of 229 wins, 134 losses, and 22 ties, a winning percentage of 623. All right, with the Green Bay Packers. Coach Ryan left the Packers after only one season, and Lambeau became player coach. However, during the team's first season, Lambeau as team captain handled many of the duties associated with the head coach in modern times. In the early days of pro football, the head coach was not allowed to talk to the players during the game. Man, it's amazing how times have changed. Thus, Lambeau was the team's on-field leader during games, including play calling. He was also responsible for signing players and running practices. For these reasons, the Packers recognized Lambeau as the team's first head coach, and rightfully so. Uh, in 1921, he led the team into the into the one-year-old American Professional Football Association, which became the NFL in 1922. After retiring as a player in 1929, he remained a head coach and general manager until 1949. For the better part of that time, he had near-complete control over the team's day-to-day operations and represented the Packers at owners' meetings. So he was essentially the acting president as well back then, You know what you would consider the acting president today. Uh, before joining the NFL, the Packers achieved an overall 19-2-1 record record in 1919 and 1920. Under Lambeau in the NFL, the Packers won six championships in the years 1929, 30, 31, 36, 39, and 44. He compiled an NFL regular season record of 209, 209 wins, 104 losses, and 21 ties, a winning percentage of 657, with a playoff record of 3-2, 212, 106, 21, 656 winning percentage overall. Lambeau is still far and away the winningest coach in Packers history. His 104 losses are also the most by a Packers head coach. The Packers' most successful period came in the 1930s thanks to the additions of quarterback Arnie Herber, also of Green Bay, I should mention, and receiver Don Hudson. Herber and Hudson pioneered the passing game, which allowed the Packers to dominate their competitors through the 1930s. In 1946, Lambeau purchased Rockwood Lodge, a former uh, Nobertine retreat. I guess I'm saying that right. Creating the uh, first self-contained training facility in professional football. Another first, uh, first of minis, right? Or many of firsts, I should say, that the Packers kind of uh, put forth, you know, and and uh, having their own training facility and all that. The, uh, the purchase was controversial among the Packers' board of directors, many of whom balked at the $32,000 purchase price and $8,000 Lambeau spent on renovations. And some members of the financial committee almost resigned in protest. So you can already see, this is why I was so hesitant, guys, on doing a Curly Lambeau segment, because it gets a little dicey, right? I mean, it gets to the point where you start to see the bad side of Curly, but you got to take the good and the bad with everything, man, and in, in, in sports and in life in, in general, right? You, I mean, there's there's mistakes that people make, and you know people get upset. And you, anytime you've got a committee, first of all, if you guys have ever been on a committee or, or witnessed it firsthand, whether it's a home association where you live, maybe, or maybe you've gotten into local politics, or you run a business that's got, you know, uh, you know, a, a board of directors or whatever it is, man, you get you get too many uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, and it gets dicey real quick, but. Lambeau's 
uh, players grew to hate the facility as well, partly because they were severely battered by the brick-hard limestone under the fields. On some days, Lambeau had to move practices to fields near City Stadium due to the severe beating his players took at the lodge. At the same time, the Packers had begun noticeably slipping on the field after Hudson's retirement in 1945. Still, the Packers remained competitive until 1948, when they suffered their first losing season since 1933 and the only second losing season in franchise history. The uh, bottom fell out in 1949 when the Packers won only two games at the time, uh, their worst season ever. This was at, at least in part due to Lambeau's refusal to abandon the Notre Dame box that he had learned during his brief time in South Bend. The Packers continued to run the variation of the single wing long after most teams began running the T formation, which had become popular. The, uh, the Packers were also suffering financially, mainly due to the Rockwood Lodge purchase. Early in the 1949 season, Lambeau largely turned over control of the team to his assistants to devote his attention to the team's financial situation. But even reducing the payroll and his own salary were not enough to staunch the bleeding. Uh, by the end of the season, the Packers were on what seemed to be an irreversible slide towards bankruptcy. The desperate for cash, Lambeau found investors willing to invest funds into the team on the condition that it abolished the then-unique public ownership structure. This proposal was considered rank heresy in Green Bay and led to rumors that the NFL was using the pending merger with the All-American Football Conference as leverage to force Lambeau to relocate the Packers to the West Coast or shut down the team. So, Oh, man, let me finish this right here. In response to these events, team officials offered him a revised contract that stripped him of nearly all control over non-football matters. Lambeau rejected the offer almost out of hand, effectively ending his 31-year tenure at the helm of the uh, team he founded. However, he did not formally resign until February 1, 1950, seven days after his beloved Rockwood Lodge burned in a fire that remains unsolved to this day. The insurance money relieved the Packers' financial woes at one stroke and ensued ensured, I'm sorry, ensured they would stay in Green Bay. So, man, there's a lot to unpack there, guys. And, uh, you know, before I do, let's go ahead and take a second. Let's pay some bills, take a quick commercial break. And when I come back, we're going to unpack exactly what we just talked about with Curly Lambos falling out with the board of directors and what happened to Rockwood Lodge. But like I said, let's take a quick commercial break. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news. So don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. 
They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so let's try to unpack this. Basically, you have Lambo, who co-founded the team. He's had all this control for, I mean, so long, from 1919 to 1949. I mean, you're talking about a 30-year run, right? And he gets to the point where... You know, he, he makes this huge purchase of Rockwood Lodge, and it, and it sounds all great and everything. And, and, you know, they talk about the playing surface beat up the players, but the players, there's also letters of the players talking about how much they like Rockwood Lodge. You know, another thing that Curly did was in the renovations, he had these small cabins, these kind of houses built on site where players could have their family come up. And during training camp, they could spend time with their family. They talked about they had stakes every night. I mean, Curly was living it up up there. But the board of directors are looking at the funds and going, look, we don't have the money to, to, to foot the bill for this. So Curly goes behind the board of directors' backs and essentially tries to get a ton of uh, investors. And the rumor was that Curly was going to move the team out of Green Bay. Um, luckily, the board of directors and everything, how it was legally set up with, uh, with the stockholders that were already involved and, and how the team basically was owned by the city of Green Bay, they were able to block that. And I say that because it's important to understand um, all the details. You know, in the world we live in right now, people tend to, they want to, you know, look the other direction when they when there's something on the line that they don't agree with, right? Or or if it, if it kind of points out that, hey, maybe the side that you agree with, whether, it, I don't care what it is, guys, any, name a topic today. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that people like to argue about today. Um, it's, it's very easy for people to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what you did wrong there. You see what's wrong morally there. And then when they point out the flaws of them, they like to turn the other cheek and, you know, I mean, Twitter, my guy, Twitter is just a, what a circus. I mean, you've got people using Twitter as a platform to bash people that are accepting money for this live golf tournament, right? Or this live golf league, right? And saying, well, it's funded by the Saudis. But at the same time, no people are using that platform that the majority was owned by the Saudi prince. So you're saying it's okay to use a platform that's completely funded by the Saudis or majority funded by the Saudis, but it's not okay to support a golf league that's funded by the It just amazes me, and it's just one example of many on both sides that they try to you know, you know, I'm a better person than you. I'm a better person than you. I'm a better person than you. Well, what about this you did? Well, I don't want to talk about that. Quit changing the subject. This is what you did wrong. It's just, it's, it's an absolute mess. And I, I try to draw that parallel because when it comes to this Curly Lambo situation, I mean, you got to, you got to take the good with the bad. And Lambo really got ticked off 
at the board of directors, and he was planning on moving the team. I mean, it's there's pretty much all the evidence you need, and luckily, as much as we like to bash the board of directors throughout time, and you've heard me talk in a past history segment about how when Jack Venisi um, – made the recommendation of having Vince Lombardi brought in, and he said, look, when you go in, you've got to demand that you have complete control of that board of directors. It was easy to look at that and go, yeah, I'm glad Lombardi did that. But from the board of directors' standpoint, you know, they were looking at it going, listen, the last time that we turned over total control to the, a guy almost moved the team. Like, he tried to go behind our back and get public funding from, from like, a, you know, huge, uh, huge investors so they could pretty much purchase the team out from under Green Bay and, and thank God for that current board of directors. You know, as much as Lambeau has meant to the Green Bay Packers, and, and he's hands down on my my Green Bay Packer Mount Rushmore, at the same time, and you've got to really be appreciative and understand the, the true facts behind the fact that that the, uh, the board of directors stepped in and saved the Green Bay Packers and kept them in Green Bay. Again, this is why I was so hesitant on talking about you know, doing a history segment on Lambo, and I had so many people asking me, "Man, you got to do one on Lambo. You got to do one on Lambo." And, and you know, I think it's a good thing. It's important that people know the all the you know the truth and and how everything really transpired. We we owe a huge debt of gratitude to both George Calhoun and Curly Lambo. But at the same time, I want to know all the facts. You know, Ryan kind of talked about this on a on an episode uh, a couple of days ago uh, on his podcast. And he was talking about how a Vikings fan wrote in and or you know whatever uh, that listens to the show, and I think that's awesome. By the way, I mean just it's a testament to the the content that Ryan puts out and how enjoyable it is to to listen to uh, his podcast. But um, you know the Viking fan essentially kind of kind of called him out a little bit and, and talked about why other fans tend to hate Packer fans and this and that and. And Ryan came back and he made a great point, and it's exactly how I feel. I'm pretty sure we've got the same logistician personality, but it's like, listen, it we're, we're here to talk to tell the truth. We're here to talk about facts on these podcasts. I'm not here to try to sugarcoat it for one side or the other. I'm not here to try to blow the Packers up to be this perfect organization that never makes mistakes. But at the same time, I'm not. I'll be darned if I'm going to let another fan of another team come in and completely lie about the Green Bay Packers and lie like how the media has lied on Aaron Rodgers and all this. No, dude, you're going to get 100% truth on this show. And if you don't like it, you know, I'm sorry. I hope you continue to listen, but I'm not going to tailor anything away from the truth. This is, if we're not going to tell the real facts of everything we talk about, then what are we doing here? It might as well be a Hollywood scripted movie. And what's the point, right? So, I don't mean to go on that rant, but it's just really, really important to understand what happened there. Now, the Rockwood Lodge burning down. That's fascinating to me. Seven days, seven days after it burned down, Curly resigned. (laughs) And the insurance money was just enough to keep the Packers afloat. I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I apologize that there's a family member of of one of these people that were in the organization at the time that's still alive. I'm not bashing on they did what they had to do, but it sounded like somebody dropped the match accidentally at Rockwood Lodge, collected the insurance comp, uh, insurance uh, check, and bailed the Packers out from going bankrupt. And uh, thank goodness it happened. Right, wrong, or indifferent. I mean, it's pretty obvious what happened. So Curly goes on to the Chicago Cardinals. It says, after resigning from the Packers, Lambeau Field 
the uh, open head coach position of the Chicago Cardinals. In addition to the position of head coach, Lambeau was also named vice president and was given complete control over personnel decisions, effectively giving him the same control over football matters that he had in Green Bay. So you could see Chicago's sliminess didn't start, you know, here recently, like Jacob and I were talking about how these teams are starting. To, you've seen it this year with Chicago, with them taking Luke Getzey and trying to pull people over from the Packers organization. That's the name of the game. I get it. I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear because it's one of the things I love about the National Football League, and it adds a different level of, of competition to those rivalries, right? But this is something Chicago been doing for a long time, right? They basically said, hey, leave Green Bay, come to Chicago, we'll give you complete control over the roster. It says in 1950 season, the Cardinals ended the season 5-7, and seven, failing to improve upon its record in the previous season and missing out on the postseason. The 1951 season went even worse for Lambeau, and the Cardinals, the team, ended the season 3-9 and nine and again failed to reach the postseason. Um, he went on to Washington, it says. Lambeau coached the Washington Redskins in 1952 and 1953. In August of 1954, Lambeau got into a heated argument with Redskins owner George Preston Marshall in the lobby of Sacramento's Senator Hotel, after which Marshall fired Lambeau on the spot. So he gets run out of Washington as well. I mean, it, if everywhere you go, it smells like, you know, it smells like cow crap. Probably want to check your own boot, right? It's, it just sounds like Lambeau kind of got out of touch, um, you know, as he got older and and just kind of, uh, yeah, just lost that flair that, that people love so much. You know, uh, one person said, I think it was, I can't remember if it was Johnny Blood or who it was. It might have been Cecil Isabel, whoever it was. One of his ex-players said, when Curly dies, they're going to have a hard time finding six people to help bury him. And I thought that was real fitting. It was just like, wow, this guy... Uh, you know, could he ever turn it around? Could he get his reputation back, right? Well, uh, luckily he did. But it says, personal life. Lambeau was married three times. First to Marguerite Van Van Kessel from 1919 to 1934, ending in divorce with, with one son. His second wife, Susan Johnson, was a former Miss California, and they were married from 1935 to 1940. He married Grace Garland in 1945 and was divorced in 1955. While a player coach for the Packers, Lambeau also coached his alma mater Green Bay East High School's football team from 1919 to 1921, compiling a 14-4-3 record. A lot of people don't know that, that he actually went back and coached his high school team and was very successful in doing so. It says Lambeau died on June 1st, 1965, at the age of 67 in Sturgeon Bay from a sudden heart attack. While waiting for his girlfriend, Mary Jane Van Van Duus, I believe is how you say it, to get ready for a date, he had stepped out of his brand new red Cadillac, Cadillac convertible and helped her father cut the grass and collapse. Mary Jane was the Green Bay Packers champion uh, major rep and was a Packer golden girl. Now, um, that's where Curly met her at. He's seen her at a football game and said, you know what, I like that. I think I'll have that. That's kind of how Curly was his entire life. They said one of the reasons why he and Lombardi didn't get along is because Curly was this known womanizer, obviously being married three times, having you know kids with multiple women. Um, he was just he was one of those guys. He was a good looking man. He was very athletic, very successful. They said he carried himself in a way that he would light up a room when he walked in. It, you know, this this last girlfriend that it talks about here that was the Packer Golden girl. Um, you know, it talked about how Mary Jane said that he was just always full of energy and full of life. You know, I, I've read a book and I, I really highly recommend you read it. It's a great book. It's called uh, Lambo, the man behind the mystique. And it talks about in that book, 
um, it talks about you know the day that he died. And as he pulled up, he said he they said he got out of the car and seen her father cutting the grass. He said, "Hey, how about you let me have a turn at it?" So he was just that charming type of guy. Let me have a turn at it. It was a real hot day, you know. Obviously, they're uh, being in June, and um, grabbed the mower, made a couple stripes, and uh, lo and behold, you know, killed over with a heart attack. So that's how Curly Lambeau passed. So moving on to legacy. It says, without Curly Lambeau, there would be no professional football in Green Bay. With help from co-founder George Whitney Calhoun and the Hungry Five. Uh, if you guys don't know, the Hungry Five were local businessmen and and uh, and really high, you know, highly prominent uh, men that were in the Green Bay area that helped raise money and and constantly keep the Packers alive. Lambeau helped keep the NFL in Green Bay and prevented the Packers from going bankrupt on multiple occasions. There may be there may be no stronger expression of the impact the Packers um, than the name of their current home stadium, Lambeau Field. The venue opened in 1957 as the second uh, city stadium and was informally called New City Sta- Stadium for its first eight years. Just two months after his death, the stadium was renamed Lambeau Field prior to the 1965 Green Bay Packers season to honor his contributions as founder, player, and coach. Lambeau Field has become such an iconic facility that the Green Bay Packers and surrounding community have continued to remodel the stadium instead of building a new one. This has made Lambeau Field uh, the oldest continually operating NFL stadium. The name Lambeau is so strongly tied to the stadium that the Packers have not sold naming rights to the stadium, instead choosing to sell naming rights to the various uh, entrance gates. If you guys know you ever been, you got the Oneida Nation gate, you got the Miller Light gate. It's brilliant. They said they they will never change the name of the field, but they'll do advertising on the gates. Uh, during the 2003 renovation, the Packers erected a 14-foot statue of Lambeau in front of the new atrium entrance. Lambeau Street in Green Bay's Packerland Industrial Park is also named in his honor. As a player and coach, Lambeau is credited with pioneering daily practices, the forward pass in the NFL, implementing pass patterns, and having teams fly to road games. So he was the very first coach to fly to a road game and use a plane. If I understood correctly, too, they actually took two planes, if I remember the story right, and they sent them separate. In case one went down, the entire team wouldn't perish. I mean, think about the difference in times there. Uh, he was a second-team All-Pro for three seasons, 1922 through 24, and was named to the NFL 1920s All-Decade Team as one of the uh, one of the last player coaches. He also led the Packers to over 200 wins. He won six NFL championships, coached eight future Hall of Famers, Pro Football Hall of Famers, and the Packers. Um, he became the first coach to lead an NFL team to three consecutive NFL championships, 1929, 30, and 31, a feat that has only been matched once by Packers coach Vince Lombardi, 1965, 66, and 67. If you guys will remember, um, they talk about on America's Game, the 1967 season, how it meant so much to Vince Lombardi for them to three-peat, and that's the reason why, in my opinion. It's because he wanted to match Curly Lambeau. It says, for his contributions to the football and athletics, Lambeau has been honored by multiple organizations. In 1961, he was elected to the Wisconsin Athletic Hall of Fame. He was part of the inaugural class of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963, uh, two years before his death, and the inaugural class of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame in 1970. So you can kind of see, guys, him going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963, and then uh, obviously in the inaugural class of the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame in 1970. Um, people had already buried the hatchet. You know, they had said, all right, look, enough time, enough time has gone by. 
Um, I think it's time to welcome him back into the family. There's a great video. You can find it. Um, it's it's definitely on... There's a, a documentary. You can get the DVD online. It's called uh, The Legend of Lambeau Field. And there's a video of him walking down the ramp into Lambeau Field uh, before the first game at, at Open. It's an empty stadium. And it's just a really cool shot. It's it's an aged, gray-headed, curly Lambeau walking down this uh, this ramp, almost like the tunnel. And he's looking around at this empty stadium. And it's so grainy, the film is. It's just... Man, it's so iconic. You've got to look that up. But that's a great documentary if you guys haven't seen it. I think it was actually done by the Green Bay Packers way back in the day. It's called The Legend of Lambeau Field. Such a great DVD. You should be able to find that online, like I said. So, well, there you have it, guys. That's Curly Lambeau. Um, like I said, I know people have been asking for it. Um, it's an honor to uh, to kind of outline his life. Again, the goal wasn't to... Uh, wasn't to bash Lambeau, but at the same time, I didn't want to paint this fairy tale picture of Curly Lambeau and someone that he was not. Um, you know, it, it was important to tell the true story because I don't know, man. Like like we talked about in the past, and something that Matt Lafleur does so well, he kind of puts himself out there and, and shows that he's a bit vulnerable. That's a huge leadership, uh, you know, skill and quality. Is I think in vulnerability, when you see these iconic people like a Curly Lambeau or a Vince Lombardi or or whoever it is. And you see these vulnerable aspects to their life and their personality. It, it makes you understand that nobody's perfect. And I think for a person in high, of high character, you shouldn't respond in a way of going, ha ha, yeah, see, they screwed that up. If you do, you're just, you know, that's, that's I don't know, that's just a, a horrible way of looking at life and going through life. There's an old saying, and I know I'm going to butcher it, but it basically says something along the lines of, you know, high-respected people, they don't talk about other people, they talk about ideas. And, uh, you know, anyone who likes to point out other people's flaws are typically, they're, they're just overcompensating for having a, a very, very uh, small self-image, right? A weak self-image, if you will. And I think uh, when you look at some of these iconic people and you, and you see their flaws and you understand they wasn't perfect, that should make you want to be a better person. That should make you go, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe I need to cut myself a little bit of slack every now and then and, and darn sure show other people grace, right? I mean, that's kind of how I look at that, so... Um, again, that's Curly Lambo. I hope you enjoyed that, guys. It's an extended uh, history segment. I mean, we went almost 33 minutes, and I'm telling you right now, there are so many stories that I have from that book, Lambo, the Man Behind the Mystique, that I could go on and on and on. But we're going to wrap it up there. I hope it did it justice. Thank you guys for taking the time to listen to that. So now what we're going to do is answer a listener email real quick, and we're going to get you out of here. All right, this email comes from Matt H., and he says, Hey, Clayton, love the show, especially the history segments. That Does every email start with that? <laughs> like, I've definitely now I know why uh, I've got people making fun of me for watching documentaries and being the history nerd. But anyway, hey, Clayton, love the show, especially the history segments. Um, but I was just curious, are you a college football fan? The reason I ask is I haven't heard you talk much college football on your podcast and was curious if you could hit on some of the top prospects in next year's draft. Um, keep up the good work, Matt H. All right, Matt. Okay, well, I try not to talk about college football on this podcast much, Matt, and the reason being is it's a Packers podcast. You know, there's plenty of college football podcasts out there. Now, if it's something that's pertaining to the Packers, yes, I'll touch on it from time to time. Um, I do know this, college football season's right around the corner, and it is something I get excited about. To me, there's nothing better 
than than just sitting back with a cold beer on a Saturday night and watching college football, right? Especially like the game of the week. And and also I love the early games. I love the college game day. I put it on the background, you know, on Saturdays during the football season as I'm kind of getting geared up for the NFL Sunday, um, you know, that week. It's just something that, that I do enjoy as well. But I'm trying to think of how we could tie this in, and, and I was kind of picking my brain going, okay, what could what could we do to tie it around the Packers? And really what I think would be best is why don't we just hit on some of the top prospects as far as the consensus big board, just to give everybody a quick snapshot. we got a few minutes. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. So if you guys aren't interested in college football talk and, uh, you know, potential NFL prospect talk. You know, I, I, I kind of like to look at this from a standpoint of what prospects, what teams do I want to watch this this fall when it comes to, you know, Saturdays, right? And uh, why don't we approach it like that? Why don't we look at it and go, um, okay, who are the top prospects projected to go maybe in the top 10, the top 20, all right? And kind of get an idea of, you know, some of these bigger name schools and who's loaded. Like Georgia's defense last year, I mean, my goodness, how many of those players got drafted from that defense? And and like I said, if you're not interested in this, just go ahead and skip ahead to the next podcast. It's totally cool. I understand. It's not something we do very often, but when a listener asks me to cover something, I'm going to do it. So let's do it, Matt. Let's go right into the consensus big board for the 2023 NFL Draft. Coming in at number one, they have C.J. Stroud, quarterback from Ohio State, okay? Um, they're projecting him to go number seven to the Panthers. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of shifting. I'm not even going to bother bother with the projections. I'm just going to go with the consensus. He peaked at one. He sits at one right now. At number two, you have Will Anderson, edge defender from Alabama. Um, he peaked at number one, but he's sitting number two currently. Number three is quarterback from Alabama, Bryce Young. He peaked at number two. He's currently sitting at number three. Number four, you've got Jackson Smith, Najba, I think is how you say it. He's a wide receiver from Ohio State. Man, Ohio State just keeps on churning out the the, the wide receivers. That's amazing. He peaked at number one. He's sitting at number four right now. Number five, Georgia's Jalen Carter, you know, surprise, surprise, a, a Georgia defender here, right? Uh, defensive lineman Jalen Carter. He peaked at number one. He's currently sitting at number five. So what you're seeing, the what I'm seeing here in the top five, guys, is, I mean, all five of those, four of those five peaked at one at some point. So it looks like there's going to be five prospects in this coming draft. Again, it's early. This could change. We mentioned Spencer Rattler earlier in the podcast, and that's why you never know how things could shift. Um, but it seems like there's five that are kind of in that top tier of uh, prospects as it sits right now. Number six, uh, we've got Brian Breesey, defensive lineman out of Clemson. He peaked at five. He's sitting at six. Number seven, you've got Keyshawn or Keyshawn, uh, Keyshawn Butte, I think is how you say it, or Bout maybe. Um, he's from LSU, wide receiver. He peaked at six. He's sitting at number seven. Number eight, you've got Miles Murphy, edge defender from Clemson. He peaked at eight, and that's currently where he sits. Number nine, you've got Keeley Ringo, cornerback from Georgia, another uh, Georgia defender. Peaked at six. He's sitting at nine right now. Number 10, Eli Ricks, cornerback, Alabama. Peaked at nine, sitting at 10. Number 11, you got your first tight end, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. He peaked at 11, exactly where he sits right now. Uh, number 12, Paris Johnson Jr., offensive tackle from Ohio State. Peaked at number 7, currently sits at 12. 
Uh, this one I'm really excited about. Quarterback Will Levis from Kentucky. He's sitting at number 13. He peaked at number 11. I'm excited about him. You guys know I'm a Kentucky Wildcat fan. Um, not a huge college football fan, but that's one of my favorite teams, them and Notre Dame. I like to watch the Notre Dame Fighting Irish with their ties to, uh, you know, Curly Lambeau and the Green Bay Packers and all that. But with Will Levis, what I'm really excited about, um, I actually heard Greg Cosell talk about him the other day, and he says Will Levis is his top quarterback right now. Now, I want you to go back up and, and keep in mind, you know, number one on here, you've got C.J. Stroud. Number three, you've got Bryce Young, right? you got C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, Bryce Young from Bama. And when I heard him say Will Levis was his favorite, I'm like, how? How is he, you know? And then when he talked about how Will Levis has done more with less around him, and Will Levis is more built for the part to be a pro quarterback. Um, he's someone who's got mobility, but he's just a big, thick guy. You know, he transferred from Penn State. Um, I'm really excited about that because I've got tickets in October. I think it's the third week in October. I'm going to go watch Will Levis and the Kentucky Wildcats play the South Carolina Gamecocks um, there at Kroger Field. Um, in uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's called Kroger Field now there in Kentucky in Lexington. What a beautiful venue! Of all the college football stadiums I've been to. Uh, Neyland Stadium, obviously uh, been to Lexington, been been all over the country watching college football games. Uh, Commonwealth Stadium is what I will always refer to it at, as I think it's Kroger Field at Commonwealth Stadium now. But just a beautiful venue. I'm going to go see if Will Levis is the real deal. So I'll bring you guys back a scouting report there. It's funny, they've got him projected going number three to the Detroit Lions. That would break my heart to see his career get ruined stuck in Detroit. <laughs> but... Again, Will Levis, number 13. Number 14, you've got, I think I'm saying it right, Bajan Robinson, running back from Texas. So your first running back comes on the board here at number 14. He peaked at number four. So that's a guy to watch for. Maybe uh, you know someone coming out of Texas there at the running back position. I immediately thought of Ricky Williams and how Texas is just such an awesome, awesome football state. Uh, number 15, Jordan Addison, wide receiver from USC. He's currently sitting at number 16. He peaked at number 6. Um, number 17 is Nolan Smith, edge defender from Georgia. Georgia's churning them out again, guys. There's a ton of them here in the top 20. Uh, he's sitting at 17. He peaked at 11. Number 18, you've got Isaiah Foskey, edge defender from Notre Dame. Um, sitting at 18, peaked at 15. Number 19, you got Peter Skaronsky, offensive tackle from Northwestern. He's sitting at 19. He peaked at 10. Let me slide back up. So that's one, two. That's your second offensive lineman so far. So that kind of sticks out to me. You know, usually you've got a handful of offensive linemen that are right at the top of the board, especially tackles like these two guys. But Peter Skaronsky sitting at, uh, at 19. There's only two that I've come across so far. Uh, number 20, you've got Cam Smith, cornerback out of South Carolina, peaked at 15, sitting at 20. Trenton Smith, linebacker from Clemson, uh, sitting at 21, peaked at 13. And then uh, you've got safety uh, from Texas A&M, Antonio Johnson, uh, sitting at 22. That's where he's uh, he's peaked at so far. Uh, Jaqueline Roy, defensive lineman from LSU, he dropped two spots here recently. He's sitting at 23, obviously peaked at 19. Quentin Johnston at 24. He's a wide receiver out of TCU, peaked at 22. Number 25, Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback out of Miami, Florida. Uh, he peaked at 6. He's sitting at 25. So we're going to stop there, and I'm going to bounce up and look at the positions real quick, and let's rank them by quarterbacks here. Let's sort them by quarterbacks. The consensus big board right now has C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, at the, as the top quarterback at the number one spot. Um, then they have Bryce Young, quarterback from Alabama, at the three spot. 
then Will Levis at the 13 spot out of Kentucky, then Tyler Van Dyke at the 25 spot out of Miami, Florida. I mentioned that. Let's go ahead and mention one more. Anthony Richardson out of Florida. I've heard a lot of good things about him. He's sitting at 36. He peaked at 29. So essentially, you've got five quarterbacks the way it sits right now that are kind of looking to uh, uh, you know, play their way into one of those top picks. As you guys know, the NFL values the quarterback position so much. Um, so I think that if you come away from this segment with anything, it's, uh, it's kind of looking at <clears throat> the quarterback position and going, okay, Ohio State, Alabama, and Kentucky are the three teams to watch to see if those quarterbacks really build up a resume. I think it's hilarious. I mentioned Spencer Rattler earlier in the podcast as this guy that was supposed to be the number one pick, and then lo and behold, he loses his job. He comes here as the comes in on this list as the one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh quarterback. He's ranked 60th overall. He peaked at 22. He's now the quarterback of the South Carolina Gamecocks. So that's your quarterback position. Again, going back to the overall, you've got five in that top tier, in my opinion. Uh, two of which are quarterbacks. Uh, one is an edge defender. One is a wide receiver, and the other is a defensive lineman. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how the college football prospects shape up. Now, when you look at the team icons here, uh, basically the the thing that sticks out to me the most is Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. A little bit of Clemson, too. Yeah, those four teams right there. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson are probably the teams that you're going to want to look for on Saturdays this fall. So if you find yourself kind of looking for some college football, hey, I want to watch something. If you focus on those four teams, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson, you're probably going to see some really good football. And here's some names that, that are going to be called on Sundays as well. So, Matt, hope that answered your question, man. Give you a little bit of college football talk as we wrap up this pod here. And, again, it was uh, it was a blast talking about Curly Lambeau. Again, again a little bit nerve-wracking, but it is what it is. And I'm glad we got a chance to do it. Uh, I know that I have him and George Calhoun, their pitchers, hanging right next to my stock plaques. Uh, you know, with my uh, Packers stock uh, certificates right here. To me, they're the two most important figures in the history of the Green Bay Packers. And, um, uh, you know, like I said before, uh, not a perfect man, but, hey, who is, right? And uh, I think it's awesome that his name will forever be uh, attached to the most iconic stadium in the history of the National Football League, and that's our very own Lambeau Field. So that's the show for today, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us. Um, sorry if the history segment was a little bit long-winded, but if I know our listeners well, you guys probably enjoyed it. It seems to be the segment that you call on the most. And sometimes I feel bad because I'm not doing more history segments, but at the same time, I don't want to burn people out on it. And if there's information and other topics that we could talk about, and more importantly, if I can have guests come on the show, I always want to try to shine the light on other people a little bit, mainly because I know you guys get tired of hearing my voice. And I think it's great that when we can bring someone else on and give you kind of a different angle, different insight, and definitely a, a better grab of the English language. So, With that being said, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go! Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. 
At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.